Heavenly Father, we've just prayed how firm a foundation you people of God is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Father, we know that this uh, psalm we're just about to look at is a psalm of David, but we also know that behind that uh, lies your words, uh, your inspiration, and we thank you for it. We thank you for providing these words for us, so we pray that we might have open hearts and minds to hear and understand. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And if you could be turning back to Psalm 22 in your Bibles, that's page 554. Um, there's also a, uh, an outline amongst the bits of paper you were given on the way in, so you might like to use that for listening along. On the 3rd of November, just last year, in Wonsan, in North Korea, some Christians were taken into a stadium and set in front of 10,000 onlookers, uh, which included members of their own family. They were bundled together with other citizens in North Korea, considered a threat to the state. Uh, People accused of distributing pornography or those involved in prostitution. Why were the Christians there? What was their crime? Uh, Well, it was the possession of a Bible. And in front of those 10,000 people, they were machine gunned to death. Similar things happened in six other North Korean cities on the same day. The shadow of death must have seemed very thick and dark and stifling for the Christians of North Korea on that day. What words could possibly have been adequate to pray at that moment? Could indeed any Christian witnessing that event ever praise God again? It's the stuff of our worst fears and nightmares, is it not? But perhaps it also feels a little distant to us uh, sitting here this morning. Uh, Here we are in a a leafy suburb, many thousands of miles away from such horrors. There are no soldiers in jackboots goose-stepping outside. There are no machine guns facing us this morning. For most, most of us this morning, the threat of death is not immediate, uh, though not all of us, of course, and uh, we know it will come in the end. It's not immediate. It is, in many ways, quite a peaceful place to live, and yet, and yet, still something is deeply wrong. It seems peaceful, but lives can still feel torn apart in so many different ways. We can still feel abandoned by God. We can still feel ourselves unable to pray, unable to praise. Now, perhaps with that opening hymn that we had this morning, uh, despite Paul's introduction, you felt yourself unable to join in. There were people around you singing hallelujah, but you just couldn't do it. I confess that I often feel like that, simply not in the right place to praise our God. Our situation's not the same as North Korea. I don't want to suggest that it is. But we are likewise living under the shadow of death. And our lives can be just as vulnerable to despair and hopelessness. The question is, when things are like this, what should we do? And in particular, what should we pray? Well, the answer in Psalm 22 is, pray this. This is indeed the original purpose of Psalm 22. This is why it's in 
the Bible for us to supply the words for people living under the shadow of death, to supply the words to cry out to God. And we're going to look at this wonderful psalm in two parts this morning. First, we're going to look at this psalm just on its own. It's very tempting with this psalm, as you may know, just to, uh, to, to, to go, go ahead, jump ahead to what the gospel writers uh, say, you, uh, how, they, how they use it to apply it to the, to the Lord Jesus. Uh, and we will be doing that, but we're going to hold back on that so that we can learn from David first, the author of this psalm, how to pray these words for ourselves, how to cry out to God for our, in, our, in our moment of despair for rescue and relief. And then, at the end, in this run-up to Easter, uh, we'll be in a much better place to see how this psalm speaks so powerfully of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And that, too, is going to give us some words to cry out to God, not this time in despair, but with thankful praise. So then, what words should we use to pray to God in the time of despair, according to this psalm? Well, first of all, in David, in David, cry out to God for rescue. In David, cry out to God for rescue. You might have noticed as Peter was reading the psalm to us, it roughly falls into three parts. The first is what we might call lament. That is, David is pouring out his pain and suffering and bitterness and resentment and confusion. And he's doing that with an almost brutal honesty, pouring out those thoughts to the Lord. That's the first 18 verses. Only then does David feel ready and confident to pray to God for help. That's verses 19 through to 21. And only then, right at the end, does he feel ready to praise God in the hymn of thankful praise that we see running in verses 22 through to 31. And we'll come back to the thankful praise later. Uh, for now, let's simply learn from David how to pour out our hearts to the Lord, how to cry to him for rescue. And it's very striking with this psalm. As often in the psalms, the lament comes first. That itself is hugely striking. I know that it's a, a huge weakness in, in my own prayer life that I really don't know how to lament. So I've got much to learn here. The interesting thing about this lament, it's not pure lament. What we find in these first 18 verses is a carefully mixed combination of that lament, that brutal honesty before God, mixed in with something else, mixed in with David struggling to rekindle his confidence in the Lord. Now, the first part of that, the brutal honesty, comes in three waves. Take a look at uh, verses 1 and 2 to begin with, with me. My God, my God, cries out David, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I'm not silent, or perhaps better there would be, by night, but I find no rest. And this is indeed, for David, isn't it, a moment of deepest despair. David's effectively saying to the Lord at this point, you have abandoned me, Lord. It's a complaint. It's, it's an accusation. I wonder, would you dare speak to God like that? Well, David did. And then, remarkably, he set it to music and got his people to, to say it over and over again. We might naturally assume that if we feel any uh, anger towards God, we'd better keep that anger 
to ourselves. So I do want to appeal to you this morning if you're harboring any anger or negative thoughts towards God, especially if it means that you're currently not praying. Perhaps you feel guilty about those thoughts, ashamed of them, and it's preventing you from prayer. Well, David has a very simple solution for you. Turn those negative thoughts into prayer. It might seem an almost outrageous thing to do, a very risky thing to do. But as we see, it will also be cathartic. And it could be. It could be the key to restarting your relationship with God. Don't repress it. Learn how to process it. Learn how to pray it. But despair and complaint are not the only emotions David encourages to bring before the Lord. Take the next wave of lament here. This is verses 6 through to 8, which deals with public shame. Verse 6, for example, is very striking. But I am a worm, says David, and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances in which David wrote this psalm. Uh, But take the time when he was forced to uh, flee from his throne uh, as his uh, son Absalom um, attacked him. No doubt his enemies at that moment loved it as the great king had to flee for his life. And it wouldn't be at all surprising if at that moment David felt not like a king, not even like a man at all, but as he says here, more like a worm, the kind of tiny worm that infests plants and rotting food. Many of us, I guess, will have memories of events that are deeply painful to us, things that happened that were public and painful. We'd rather not talk about them. We'd rather not mention them, even to ourselves. But again, look at the very striking thing that David is doing here. He's not only bringing this desperate moment before the Lord, He's getting everyone else to join in as well. He's set it to music and they're singing it over and over again. I do wonder if this might be particularly relevant to us here in Fullwood. You see, we might not face the the kind of physical violence we're going to talk about in just a moment, but there's there's plenty of scope for us facing this kind of mockery in our situations. Uh, We don't like being mocked. I know I really, really, really don't like being mocked. But of course, we have to be mocked. We live in a culture that's drifting very rapidly further and further away from Christian truth. And if we're going to be open about our faith, then sooner or later, from somewhere, from someone, we're going to be mocked. We might be tempted to keep quiet, to avoid that. But David has another solution for us this morning. Don't avoid it. Don't avoid that mockery. Don't repress it. Learn how to process it. Learn how to pray it. And learn too, thirdly, how to pray about the fear of physical violence and death too. This is the third wave of David's lamentations, his verses 11 through to 18. It seems that people are now behaving like animals in their violence towards him. Uh, You can see it in these verses. It feels like being surrounded by wild animals out to attack and kill. There are bulls and lions or or wild dogs. And it's terrifying. Look at verse 14, for example. 
I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. His mouth goes dry with fear. He feels like God has left him in the dust to die. We can well imagine our North Korean brothers and sisters feeling precisely like this as they faced the machine guns last November. Now, most of us uh, here in the UK, most of the time, are relatively insulated from this kind of fear. But even we, of course, cannot avoid coming face to face to death forever. I can remember back when I was about uh, 12 or 13, uh, on a visit to my granddad in hospital, uh, shortly after he'd had a a heart attack. And my granddad was a very, very self-confident man, very sure of himself. But what I remember vividly from that visit was just how suddenly, just deeply frightened he was. He was terrified. Should we be surprised by that kind of fear? Should we be ashamed of that kind of fear, especially as Christians? Well, no, David would say, and he's showing us here. He's acting it out for us. Don't repress that fear. Learn how to process it. Learn how to pray it. But the other thing I want us to notice here is just how David, alongside all this lamenting, is doing something else as well. He's remembering the Lord and is encouraging us and his people to remember him too. He's trying to think straight in these difficult situations to persuade himself to rekindle his confidence and trust in the Lord. Take verse 4, for example. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved and in you they trusted and they weren't disappointed. It's a very good moment to it's a very good question to, to ask in that moment of crisis. Am I the first person who's ever faced anything like this? Has anyone been in this situation before? Well, of course they have. And we can look at dozens of examples in the Bible of people who trusted in the Lord at the moment of crisis, and the Lord is faithful. And we can look at thousands of examples in church history. Or we can look at ourselves even. Look at verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. It's another good question to ask, isn't it? I used to trust in the Lord. I used to do it. I used to have that confidence. But what's changed? Has the Lord changed? Well, again, of course not. So you can see what... David's doing his he's pouring out his heart before the Lord encouraging us to do the same he's persuading himself to remember the Lord and to trust him again and encouraging us to do the same and also that when when we then hear David praying for rescue we can be encouraged to do the same from verse 19 but you O Lord be not far off Oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life. Deliver my life from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So this is David. He is the king. 
He is the Lord's anointed, the Christ. But here is he is serving and teaching his people, and us as well, serving and teaching his people to pour out their hearts to the Lord and cry out to him for rescue. I wonder, perhaps you were brought, brought up on, with the what's so-called ACTS scheme for saying your prayers. You know, there's adoration and then there's confession, followed by thanksgiving, followed by supplication, that is asking for things. Something we might even teach to our children. Well, I suppose it's a bit like the other thing we teach our children as well. If only you will eat your vegetables, only if you do that can you have your pudding. Only if you do the A, C, and T stuff, only then can you go about asking for things. It's very striking, isn't it, in this psalm, that the scheme David's encouraging us with here is really quite different, quite radical. And what he gets us to do first here is just simply to be honest. To be honest. To complain. To implore. To wrestle with our doubts. And then we'll be in a fit place to ask. And only then, indeed, we'll be in a fit place to do all the adoration and thanks. Except that, except that I still don't think we're yet in a fit place reading through this psalm to turn to adoration and thanks. You see, although David has been very helpful, I mean really helpful, he's been sharing our pain, He's been helping us to articulate it. He's been helping us to pray for help. He's been really helpful. But he cannot actually deal with the real problem, the underlying problem. Remember, the underlying problem here is is death and, and the shadow of death and living under the shadow of death. That's why David was going through these things. That's why his people were going through these things. That's why Christians in North Korea go through similar things. And us too hear it in other kinds of ways. But David can't help us with that. After all, even he died in the end, as the apostle Peter reminded the people at Pentecost. He died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. No solution to death in him. It's only, only in Jesus that we can find such a solution. So it's only in Jesus that we can really begin to turn to thanks and praise at the end. And this is our our second and final point this morning. In David, we can cry out to the Lord for rescue, but in Jesus, we can finally cry out to God with thanks and praise. In Jesus, we can cry out to God with thanks and praise. As we begin to finish this morning, I just want us to think through how the gospel writers in the New Testament quote from this psalm. See, the gospel writers are primarily, of, of course, focused on telling us about the Lord Jesus the one who was born in the line of David, but was greater than David, the son of God, no less, who came to deal with the problem of sin and death. And to do that, Jesus himself said that he must suffer and die before finding new life. He came, he said, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he finally came to enter Jerusalem, Uh, As the Christ, as the Son of God, he was like David, entering in many ways into his city. But unlike David, when his authority was challenged, 
he did not flee. He let himself be arrested and tried unjustly and sentenced to be executed on a Roman cross. And so they crucified him. And verse 18, at the foot of the cross, the soldiers divided his garments among them and cast lots for his clothing. And verses 7 and 8, those who passed by mocked him. They hurled insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The darkness of the shadow of death, the judgment and curse of God against a sinful humanity. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's when he died. So why do the gospel writers do all of that? Why, do they, why are they reminding us of Psalm 22 as they describe the death of Jesus? Well, two reasons. The first is they want to show that Jesus really is the promised Christ. Uh, being tried and convicted and executed on a cross didn't, it has to be said, fit the people's expectations of, of what it would mean to be the Christ. They were expecting the Christ to, to come and crush all of God's enemies and all the false kingdoms of the world and do that straight away. But there's another side to being the Christ which they'd missed and forgotten. The king suffering for his people, the king identifying with the suffering of his people, the Christ of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 shows that this has always been God's plan for the Christ. And the gospel writers show Jesus fulfilling it perfectly. But the other reason... The other reason for quoting these verses in the New Testament, perhaps the more important reason, is that the gospel writers are showing Jesus himself taking upon himself everything that David faced in this psalm as David struggled under the shadow of death. Everything we all face suffering under the shadow of death, the shadow of death which overshadows all of us because in our sin we have turned away from God the life giver. Well, on the cross, he took it upon himself. He took David's cry of God-forsaken mortality upon his own lips so that we don't have to. So let's go back to that stadium in North Korea back on the 3rd of November last year. 10,000 people are looking on and our Christian brothers and sisters are staring down the barrel of a machine gun. We can barely imagine, I think, what that must have felt like. Though no doubt, much like verses 14 and 15 in our psalm this morning, hearts melting like wax, mouths as dry as a broken fragment of pottery. What can they pray at a moment like that? What can we pray going into this coming week? Facing different, but in some ways, similar pressures. Facing uh, relational dysfunction, perhaps, or mockery, or hostility. Certainly facing the feeling of, of lives torn apart in one way or another. What can we pray? 
Well, we can all pray Psalm 22. In North Korea, in Fullwoods, anywhere. But, and this is what makes the, the real difference, but as we pray, there will be an echo as we pray. And the echo will be Christ Jesus praying with us. He's gone through it all, including death itself. So that death, even when it does, if it does come, cannot hold on to us. And that means when we get to the petition at the heart of the psalm, we know that God has already acted to answer our prayer. We get to that point and we pray with David, Lord, deliver my life. But it is already done. It is finished. Because Jesus has done it. And that also means that we can carry on then and finish the psalm turning at last to thanks and praise. And I suppose it might go something like this. Let me finish this morning with a prayer based on the thankful praise at the end of Psalm 22. Let's pray together. O Lord, we shall declare your name to one another. In this congregation, we shall praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him this morning. O oh Lord, you have not despised or disdained our suffering and affliction. You have listened to our cry for help. And you have answered us in Christ Jesus, who has taken all that suffering and affliction on himself, even the curse and shadow of death. And what you have done, O oh Lord, is so great that all the ends of the earth have already begun to turn to you. And all the families of the nations have already begun to bow down before you. Oh Lord, we're thankful to be a part of that. For dominion belongs to you, and you rule over the nations. Neither poor nor rich can keep themselves alive. But you, O oh Lord, can do it. You have done it. And the news will reverberate through the generations. And they will proclaim your righteousness to a people yet unborn. For you have done it. Amen.